all about not being afraid to fail because I don't think you can fail as an artist. You just, it, it's all in the interpretation of the viewer and the artist themselves. Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I got to sit down with an incredible jewelry artist to speak about her eponymous brand, Jill Herlands. Here's what Betsy bober Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about Jill and her work. In the early part of the summer of 2019, I received an email from Jill Herlands asking me how she could be included on the Manhattan Sideways website. Although she did not have a brick and mortar shop, she assured me that she absolutely has a thriving jewelry business located inside her apartment on a side street. She encouraged me to come and visit. Intrigued by her enthusiasm, warmth, and her passion for what she's creating, I agreed. Each piece I found to be handcrafted by Jill, with no two being the same. Inside her home, she constructs bold rings, bracelets, necklaces, and more in her distinctive urban style, using metals, stones, and unusual materials, including concrete. From the moment she wakes up in the morning until it is time to come out of her tiny workspace, Jill describes her hours as absolute heaven. Perhaps what makes her even happier is to see others wearing her art. After meeting this incredible woman, Ellie and I knew immediately that we had to have Jill share her story with others. My name is Jill Herlands, and the name of my brand is Jill Herlands. So easy. There you go. It is. <laughs> and what do you do? I am a jewelry artist. Uh, I don't like to call myself a jewelry designer. I believe that a designer creates up until production and then hands it off, and I am an artist. I conceptualize, produce, and everything else that goes along with it. And how did you become a jewelry artist? Well, the story goes, I was in the music industry for most of my adult life, and then I had a daughter. I stopped to raise my daughter, and about four years ago, when my daughter was going off to college, I said, it's time for something for me to do that's exciting. And I had always liked to take jewelry apart and put it back together in strange ways, you know, old jewelry lying around. And I thought, well, if I learn how to solder, maybe I could advance this hobby. So I got a little small torch, and I taught myself to solder, And the minute the flame hit the metal, I said, this is it. I immediately knew that this was what I was going to do. But I didn't intend to start a business. Um, I set up a little desk in the corner of the kitchen, and I started just creating whatever I felt like creating. It was not typical. It was far from typical. And a few people said, oh, this will never work. You have to be more mass market. And I said, no, this is what I like to do. And then someone said, you should post this on Instagram. I had never liked social media. And I said, but you know what? All right, I'll give it a try. So I posted on Instagram. And it just took off from there. And a few months later, we incorporated. It became a business. And that's how it happened for me. And I can't imagine not doing this. This is, it's like, it's, it's second nature for me. I'm self-taught. It's about experimentation and risk-taking. What happened 
when you, you kind of blew up on Instagram, how did that happen? Did somebody find you and sort of become your spokesperson or did it just... Okay, so what really happened from what I can remember in the beginning is because my jewelry, literally there's nothing else like it, there were people that started to follow me. And whenever I would get a comment, I would respond to that comment personally to each and every comment. And so relationships were built with people on Instagram and word of mouth started to spread, you know, go follow this person, check her out. I, I learned that if I um, liked something else on Instagram, I liked to comment on their work as well and then it would be vice versa. And I believe it happened because of my um, personalization of my responses to comments and really feeling a connection to the people that liked my work. And to this day, I respond to every comment I get and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And it's, it's a second job, but it's a job that I love. I have made friends. I have had people travel from other sides of the world to come visit me here. Clients come from as far away as South Africa, and it's all because of Instagram. You know, they say that there are certain things you need to do on Instagram and certain hashtags and, and certain algorithms and things. To be honest, I believe that if you forge relationships with the people who comment, that is how you build your brand. Oh, and another important thing is your feed itself must be cohesive. You can't crowd your pictures. It has to make some sort of sense. I take the pictures myself. It took me a long time to figure it out. And I also found out over time that people want to learn more about me. Describe your style for me, please. Well, my own style, I think, takes a lot from the music industry. I was in A&R, worked for a talent agency that booked rock and roll. I wear all black and I love silver jewelry. I'm learning to love gold just as much, but that, that rock and roll vibe stuck. And so my jewelry takes a little bit from that devil may care style. You know, I will do what I want to do, wear what I want to wear. My, my work comes from my imagination and I don't listen to trends. I don't follow what's easier to do. Everything is by hand and I don't usually even think of what I'm doing before I sit down at the bench. And again, I was discouraged a lot in the beginning by saying it just won't work with one of a kind pieces and you can't do this, can't do that. And I just said, I'm gonna make what makes me happy. And the style is edgy, avant-garde, it's a mixture of feminine and masculine. I will use pearls, but I will mix it with a distressed metal. And I believe that my jewelry is an extension of the wearer's personality. I think you called them your peeps. You my said peeps. you found your peeps. Yeah. Okay, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to you that uh, you it, found your peeps? Who my, are they? It, my peeps are the people who appreciate 
uh, being able to not only get dressed and have a look, but be able to put on a ring, bracelet, or necklace and make that look pop and like their personality is, I used to call my work jewelry out loud. And so it just makes them, it brings them into the room before they enter the room. It's a conversation starter and um, they'll always feel great wearing it. I've been told that I am my jewelry, that my personality reflects what I create and that to me is a wonderful compliment because I put myself into what I create. And you do work with your clients to design jewelry oh, for them. Absolutely. 90% of my business is custom work. So there are two or three ways that we do it. Well, one way is a client will contact me and just say, I want a ring that looks like something you posted on Instagram, but I want a different stone. You have creative control. Okay, and so I will create something. But before I do that, I send a little questionnaire to the woman or man just to ask a little bit about who they are, what their style is, what they like, what they don't like, so I can personalize it. Another way that I love to work is a client will contact me and say, I have some jewelry that I haven't worn in a while. Can you do anything with it? And we'll make an appointment and she'll bring the jewelry. And what I will do is, it must be precious metal, but I will take it. And if it's something like, this was my mom's, I will melt down the metal. I will use the gemstones and I will create something completely different untraditional from what it was to begin with. And then third way is a client will contact me and say, I have an idea of something. I passed by a house. This is an actual what happened with one client. And I was very moved by the way the house felt like it represented who I was at the time. There was a fence and the fence was what I was holding back. And there was a tree, and I felt like the tree represented my friends trying to get me to open up. Can you create a piece that represents all those things? And so I came up with an idea, and I asked for his approval, and he said, go with it. So it, it's a lot of different ways, but it's always, always speaking with the client, connecting with the client, finding out about who they are, and you know what they're like so I can really personalize the piece. Can you tell me about one or two more pieces that you've made that have stuck in your mind as being especially meaningful oh, yes. or beautiful? Oh yes, okay. There was a client who contacted me through someone else. She went to this jeweler and told her what she wanted and the, and the, the artist said, I can't do that, but I know someone who will. And so she contacted me and what she wanted was she had traveled throughout her life and she picked up little mementos along the way. Some of those mementos were a piece of pottery, a piece of wood from the ground and a horse's tooth. She also had some old rings that had some diamonds in it and gold. She said, can you take these objects and make them into wearable art so I can see these precious mementos? So the one that stood out the most was the horse's tooth. I had never seen one and never worked with one before. I created a cuff and the horse's tooth was the gemstone. And I took the diamonds from her, uh, her rings 
I melted down some of the gold onto the cuff. The cuff had texture from the metal from her rings, and I set a few tiny diamonds next to the tooth. It was gorgeous. You couldn't tell it was a tooth. It looked like a gemstone. She couldn't believe that this was possible. So that's one. Another one that really stands out is, um, oh gosh, there's so many. A couple contacted me and said, we both have just gone through really bad divorces. We fell in love with each other and we want to celebrate that by making rings from our old engagement rings. Can you help us do that? And we want, um, we want it to have significance. We want them to not look exactly alike, but to, um, you can tell that for, they're for two people that are connected. I spent about a week talking back and forth on FaceTime with them. I got to know them. I, I felt very close to them and I said, okay, are you ready to send your rings? We'll get started. I can sketch out some designs and they stopped and they said, no, no, no. We want you to do what you feel you should do after having spoken to us. I got their rings and they were very traditional looking and the vibe that I got from them was these were two people who literally, it took two marriages for them to find one another. They were both artists, they both liked the same, it was like they were really meant for one another. And so I knew I had to do something that melded them together. The rings had to be that if you saw one, you knew that the other person was somewhere and that was the one. And so what I did is I took both, uh, they, she sent me three rings, two of his from the first marriage and one from her. So I took all the medals, I melted down the three medals and put them in both of the new rings. It made the texture, it made of the body of the ring, and I set the diamonds, one on the left side for her and one on the right side for him. The guy contacted me and said, Jill, she doesn't know this, but I'm going to propose to her. And I need you to be in on it. They didn't have the rings yet because it was taking a while. He said, can you tell her they're not ready yet? Because I want you to send them to me without her knowing. And so we spoke back and forth for a while. And he said, I want to propose to her on this such and such a date. Can you make sure everything's done by that time? Sizing has to be right and everything had to be perfect. And so I sent them to him. And then I think it was about two weeks later, he proposed to her. And on that day, he sent me pictures of him proposing to her with the ring. I still have those pictures. And then the day of the wedding, on that day, I get a text. They're walking down the aisle and they're in front of the person who's marrying them and they're exchanging the rings and they're saying, you are as much a part of this love. It was the most unbelievable feeling. It really impacted me. It showed me how close you can get to a person without never meeting them. I never met them, but I, I feel like I know them and I feel like I'm, I will be a part of their lives. And it's a, a fantastic feeling. A lot of style for your design just comes from your imagination and personal aesthetic. 
but do you draw inspiration from, from other places? Absolutely. Well, first of all, when I do a collection, I'll have a main idea. And I get a lot of that idea from ruins and raw materials, something like where I live. We had this, our space renovated a while back, and it's, it's very industrial modern. The floors are concrete, and they have different shades and holes and cracks. I get a lot of inspiration from that. I like my jewelry to have a worn-in look to it. I'm known for the finishes of my work because I, I experiment with different ways to get different finishes that other people don't know how to do that and don't take risks. The architecture of New York, not, not the intricacies of the architecture, but the bold minimalists like newer buildings, the straight lines. If it was up to me all the time, I would do just work with just metal. Gemstones are gorgeous and I only use them in their raw, rough state. But my clients love gemstones, and so I, I now love them, but I don't set them in traditional ways. So that is always something new that I'm, I'm teaching myself or different ways to set the stones, not in a traditional prong setting or a bezel mm -hmm. setting. Mm -hmm. What other inspiration? Um, I like to take away, meaning uh, I'll create something and then maybe melt it and get holes in it and make the edge sort of burnt, so to speak. I like to look for visible and invisible boundaries in my work as I'm creating it, and it, it will morph. If I'm working on something and I'll go outside and I'll see something that catches my eye, I'm trying to think of stuff. Oh, an iron gate one time caught my eye. It had these diagonal lines going crisscross. And I came back to the studio and I said, I want to do that, but I want to do it more in a 3D effect. So I, I created a ring that is now my signature wrap ring, but it's not wrapped. The wire is laid straight down, crisscrossing, and it has a 3D effect when the whole thing is put together. Um, so many things inspire me, but I think mostly it's challenging myself to do something different when I'm not, you know, working on something for a client or working on a collection for a gallery or a boutique, which lately has been all the time. So I don't get so much to just play, but the work that I do is still the most joyful experience, even it, though it may have more parameters than my just, you know, melting the metal. Last time I was here, we spoke a bit about how no matter how intensely you're working with a client, there's always a bit of you in the work. Yes. How do you maintain that sort of creative license in what you're creating? Because I don't know how to do anything else. Um, when I'm creating, so even if a client has some specifics of what they want, I want this stone, I want this setting, I'm creating it. So, and, and beforehand, the client is always told, I'm creating what, you're, what you asked me to, but it will always have my stamp on it, meaning it's not going to be a shiny, pristine looking piece. Um, so I'm the one doing it. I'm not going to deviate from 
the, what makes me happy, the look that makes me happy, the rough and the feminine, masculine kind of look. Mm-hmm. Where do you get your materials? I get all my metal supplies and tools from Rio Grande, which is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They are one of the most well-known metal suppliers in the country and actually outside the country. I have been going there since I started doing this. For my gemstones, I actually just found a new lapidary. I like very unique stones. And she found me on Instagram. And a lot of people ask me this, and I usually just say, I'm sorry, I'm not interested because it's too many. But there was something about the way she said my stones are very unique. So I said, please feel free to contact me and send me some pictures. And the minute I saw them, I said, okay, let's do this. Very unique, very, very large and and you know, with, with crystallization coming up and just things that you've never seen before, one of a kind. So that's where I'll get my gemstones from. I don't just buy them from a store somewhere. It's from people that I trust, that it's good quality and it's ethically sourced. Let's chat about how you acquired the skills to do what you're doing. Okay. As I said before, I'm self-taught. I've never looked at a YouTube video, but the reason why I'm able to do what I do is because I've always been a risk taker. I have a flame and I have metal, and I just test what the flame will do with the metal. Over the years, I've found that different metals need different heat. I've taught myself how to use enamel, but I use it in ways that are, you're not supposed to use it. Once I picked up the torch, I was like, okay, let's see what it'll do. So I would cut off a piece of metal and I knew how to make a ring shank or a ring band. And I would say, okay, let's see if this silver melts in a strange way. And so I would put the silver on top of something because I figured out that if you heat from underneath, it melts easier. This is all by experimentation. I have made more mistakes than I could remember, but I take the mistake and I leave it and incorporate it into the final piece. I've had students come to the studio and say, I want to watch you work. And so they've come and they've watched and they are traditionally trained. And they said, I've never seen that. Why are you doing it like that? How do you do that? And I say, "I, I do what works for me. I find that formally trained people limit themselves a lot of times. And so I feel that by being self-taught, I can do whatever I want. I'm, the possibilities are endless. Oh, and one other thing, a lot of people on Instagram ask me if I teach or do workshops. I don't. A lot of things that I've discovered on my own, I won't share, but most everything else I will. And so I have, People that will contact me, ask me questions, how do you start a business, or how did you do this, or how, and I sort of mentor them and help them get started. I feel like supporting other artists is my job. You know, I I did it by myself, and now it's my turn to give what I've learned back. So part of what we're doing with the Manhattan Sideways podcast in particular is to make you available as a mentor to anyone who listens to the podcast. So what are some of the things that you tell people who come to you saying that they 
want to learn from you? So the first step is always you must have a social media account. It kind of bothers me to say that that's so important, but it really is. And it must be separate from a personal account. And it must be cohesive. And you must tend to it daily. The most important other than social media is you cannot be afraid to make a mistake. I believe perfection is a little bit boring. I I find, and it's been many, many people who have asked me these questions, the main point is they're always afraid. They're afraid to start, they're afraid that their work won't be accepted or they'll make a mistake or it won't be perfect. And I always say, if you don't try, you'll never know. And what is the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst? That you stay where you are. But you're, you're doing something you love. And if you love what you're doing, don't do this to start a business. Do it because you love it. The most important thing is that you get joy from what you're doing and doing it as much as you possibly can. The minute I lose joy in doing what I do is the minute that I don't do it anymore. What makes you love what you do? Oh my gosh. It's freedom. I've always had a creative streak in me. I never had the proper outlet. This gives me freedom to express myself with this amazing material that I just find fascinating what it's capable to do, to create three-dimensional forms with, with a flat piece of metal just to this day fascinates me. And I, since my studio is in my home, I wake up and I, I am at that bench at 7.30, 8 o'clock a.m. and I am going. I have an assistant for the past two years because the administrative work was getting too much. For the first two years, I did everything by myself. And she handles all, you know, emails and, and a lot of administrative work. No one touches my metal. I just get to create. And thankfully, I have wonderful clients. 95% of them give me creative control, and 95% of them are repeat clients. It makes me feel honored. When people appreciate what I love, the feeling is better than most anything. Where do your customers tend to be from? Ironically, not a lot from New York City. I have lots of customers in London, in Australia, Chicago. They're really global. I'm in a lot of galleries, so New Zealand, I do very well in a gallery there. But my one-on-one clientele, it's word of mouth, so I would say 60% domestically, 40% globally, and... I consider each of my clients a friend. I mean, we we get to know one another. And aside from the individual customers, how do you make connections with the galleries that you work with? In the beginning, what I did was I would find out where art galleries were and what which art galleries, and I would blindly write them a nice email and say, do you accept submissions for art jewelry, for an exhibition, or for whatever. Some would write back, I'm sorry, we don't, um, or yeah, great, send me a lookbook, send me. And so I created lookbooks, and I I found out what a line sheet was, and so I would do it that way. Over the past two years, 
I now have galleries that contact me. So it's, it's switched around. The, um, I, I'm an artist in residence in a gallery in Oregon. I'm in eight galleries, um, domestically, four globally, and two boutiques. But it, now it's they reach out to me. Ideally, where would you like to see your brand go? I would like to see my brand being recognizable worldwide. I, I don't ever want it to be more than each piece being one of a kind, but that doesn't mean that there are other ways to do something else. I have been told by numerous people that now is the time for my brand to go to the next step, which is to hand off some of the work to other people. I have a very hard time with this. This is, answer to that is a no, but for my brand to grow, there has to be another way for, for me because it's just I'm the only one making it. So I haven't figured that out yet, but it'll be interesting when I come up with something. I would like to see everyone wearing my jewelry, men and women. I do not want to be a mass-marketed department store brand. I, I, I want to be a niche brand that is known globally. I want to go back quickly and talk about how you work from home. That's one of the things that I find to be most incredible about what you do is that everything is done right next to your bedroom. How do you think that that impacts the work that you're able to do? I think it is a pro much more than it's a con. I wake up and I, I have my coffee and I go upstairs, put my apron on and I work. My assistant comes at 10.30 and my husband actually works from home as well. He has a separate office. We don't see each other all day. I don't leave my studio all day from about 8 a.m. until about 7 p.m. I'm in there. And to be honest with you, my studio is not huge, but I don't feel that a larger studio would give me the ability to create more. I have everything I need. I don't have to commute. It's mine. It's my little place of heaven. And it's the perfect place for myself and my assistant. And the future, we don't know what the future holds, but we take it step by step and we're growing daily. So we'll see what happens. And for the record, for anyone listening, Jill's studio is about a, a wingspan, a human wingspan wide and a little bit more than that long. Right. And it's got a 270 degree desk, right? It goes Correct. around three sides. three sides and then there's the entrance. And there's, you know, there are tools and drawers. It's all very organized. And, and it's um, very compact. Yeah, it's very compact. It's a great use of space. But when you're <laughs> sitting, when I'm sitting down and actually working, I don't feel like it's small in any way whatsoever, even with my assistant in there with me. And she doesn't feel it either. We roll around in our chairs and do what we need to do. And... And it works, and, and, and you know, I have relatives that say to me all the time, so when are you gonna move out and get a bigger studio? I'm like, I, I'm, you know, I'm fine, it's I'm very cool. happy. Yeah. How long have you lived in New York? Did you grow up here? I've lived in New York my whole life. And how have you seen it change over the course of your well, life? Well, it's changed tremendously. I, I you know, grew up in the 70s and 80s, so 
It was horrendous at that time. I mean, you wouldn't want to come to New York. It was a dangerous place. But I'm going to get more specific and talk about this neighborhood that I'm in, which is Hell's Kitchen, which they're now trying to call Hudson Yard's Hell's Kitchen, um, which the residents of Hell's Kitchen don't like. But Hell's Kitchen used to be, uh, 50 years ago, not a place that you'd want to live. And we've been here about 11 years, and just in those 11 years, it has changed. There is, there's not one part of the city, I don't think, that hasn't been gentrified. There's no more, and, and not to say I wouldn't want to go back to the 70s, but the mom and pop stores were always great. And the, the gritty parts of the city, you know, you can still catch glimpses of them downtown and the West Village and Tribeca, but I, I don't think that it's, it, it's a con the way the city has grown and changed. But I do think that places like Times Square are horrible. I, um, I, I don't understand them. Now it's more, I don't want to say that it's not big box stores because it's still New York City, but what, what do you see more of? I mean, I still see in this neighborhood, you know, I can, there's still mom and pop stores, the delis and the nail places and um, little home stores, but other parts of the city, like Union Square, has, it's become a tourist area mm -hmm. with like uh, Target and um, those bigger yeah. box stores. It hasn't hit this neighborhood. And Hudson Yards is what Hudson Yards is going to do, I've heard and I hope, is embrace the arts and the artists. Especially with you and your husband both working from home, what keeps you in New York? Because you could go anywhere. I know, I know. I think that we'll always have this place. We'll never give up this place. But we're definitely not ready to leave New York. What keeps us here is I've always been here. It's convenient. It's my home. But one day I do see myself having a little beach house but still having my New York. When I come home from a trip and I see the skyline, I get a sense of comfort and a sense of I'm home. And people say all the time, why are you here? You don't have to be here anymore. Your daughter's grown, you know, she's gonna move away or, you know, might stay, but she'll be out of here. And it's not, not there yet, definitely not there yet. We always like to ask if there's anything that you want people to know about you that you feel isn't out there already that we can share for you. I am what I come off as. I don't have many personalities. I have this one personality that is the one that I present on social media, the one that I present to my clients, and the one that I present to my family. I am a very happy, joyful, positive woman and believe that passing on positivity to other women and making other people feel good is something that I love to do. And that's a little cheesy, but it's really what I like to do. I don't think enough women especially love themselves. And I like myself, and I think it's something that every woman should feel. 
Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie Cody, and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways. If you want to learn more about Jill or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at Manhattan Sideways or on Instagram and Twitter at NY Sideways. And of course, check out our website, www.sideways.nyc. See you next time.